Thanks, Wesley, and thank you, everybody. Man, great to be here this morning. I was afraid, I was afraid that given the fact that it was Labor Day weekend, that everybody was going to uh, be gone. You know, sometimes you have, you have different uh, dreams, and if, if you're a preacher, you always like to be able to look out and see smiling faces looking back at you, but uh, I did have a dream last night that I showed up and there was nobody else here. And um, I started asking around. It was like, oh, it, it's, it's Labor Day weekend. That's why people are gone. But the response was, uh, no. <laughs> uh, people just didn't want to come. And that's not what you want to hear. And so I woke up this morning and I was like, man, this is not going to be a good day. I can already tell when you're already thinking these kind of thoughts. But look, if you have been traveling this weekend and the Labor Day uh, weekend has brought you here. We are thankful for your attendance. We're thankful for your participation here and for coming to be a part. Uh, if you're listening while you're traveling around this weekend, just be safe, please. And we thank you for, for joining us either online or listening later on in the week on our, on our podcast. We really do, really do appreciate it. Good to see you. If your kids just went off, uh, don't worry. They will come back. Actually, you're going to need to go get them. But you can retrieve them uh, once, either once we're finished in here, if you need to go ahead and go, or after our small group uh, discussion time that we're going to be having all around our campus that will follow our time in here. But your kiddos are up in our children's center. That's the building that's up on the hill, and they are having a great time. Great time right now in kids' praise and we worship and be former. But, you know, Chris went to the Air Force Academy and retired out of the Air Force. And now all of a sudden you've got this, you know, Air Force guy that's going, goody, 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 you know. And it, it's great to see. It is, uh, it is great. Hey, open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 5. Open up your Bibles. It's there in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then the third gospel is Luke. Take out your phones. Pull it up. I want us to kick things off this morning by reading through a, a story in the life of Jesus, all right? Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin right there at the beginning of the chapter. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon Peter, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat there on the boat and he taught the crowds that were there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus told Peter to go out where it's deeper. Go out where it's deeper. Now when Jesus asked Peter to do this, it went against everything that 
Peter knew to be true about fishing during this time and in this area. No fisherman, at least no fisherman that wanted to catch fish, would go out and cast nets into the deep of Galilee. It just wasn't the best location, and it also wasn't the best time to go out and be fishing. You, you did notice that the boats were empty, right, because it said the fishermen were drying their nets. And you do that after you have been out fishing, after you have been on the job. It's Labor Day time. It's time to take a little bit of a break. And so they are preparing to put away everything that they have used, and they're getting ready to go home. And, but Jesus maybe doesn't realize that they're done. Maybe he doesn't know that much about fishing. I mean, he was a carpenter, and, and now he's this itinerant preacher. So maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe he doesn't understand, but Peter says, if you want me to go out, I'll, I'll go out again. And as he pushes away from shore, he probably noticed how all the other fishing fleets were, were either coming back in for the day or they were already tied up. You see, soon his boat was going to be the only little dot that was out there on that sea. A sea, by the way, that was six miles by 13 miles. This is a large body of water. A large body of water, and Jesus says, I just want you to go out to where, to where it's deep. It's not a safe choice. You need to understand this. This is not a wise decision. It's not the smart thing to do. The smart thing, the, the wise thing, the safe thing would be to stay on the shore. The safe thing would just be to look at Jesus and in a very kind and respectful way say, teacher, we've had a long day. Actually, it's been a, a long night. I don't remember the amount of hours that we have spent out there in the sea fishing, and we just didn't catch anything. I mean, we, you've got all these other boats that are out, and for whatever reason, we, we're competing against each other, and it's just hard to find the best spots, and, and we did the best that we could today, but we are all tired. We, we've got everything. We've got all the nets. We've got them almost put up. Can we just wait? Can you come back later on? Can we do this another time? Now, that would have been the safe. That would have been the smart. That would have been the wise thing to do. Just stay on the shore. Be nice to Jesus. Say, I understand what you're asking, but can we just wait? And yet you read through Scripture and you have to ask yourself, when was the last time that the call of God was ever safe? When was the last time that the call of God was to safety? You know, it wasn't safe for Noah to build a, a huge boat miles away from water. That wasn't safe. It definitely wasn't the wisest thing to do. It wasn't safe for Abraham to go on a camping trip with Isaac. But, but that's what he did because well, that's what God asked him to do. Was it safe for Moses to walk into the courts of Pharaoh? Was it safety that led Daniel to pray every day or, or motivated Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem's walls? Was John the Baptist or, or was the Apostle Paul safe? Was it safe for Peter to fish the depths of Galilee? I mean, he was going to be the only boat out there. But you understand what that means, right? If his is going to be the only boat out there, then it also means that his is going to be the only boat that's catching any fish. You see how that works? I mean, if he's the only one out there, the only one that's going to have the opportunity to have nets filled is that one boat. Now, the business term for what Peter was about to learn is called blue ocean strategy. 
And it's an idea that's presented in the book of the same name. And, and then at the author's well, they say that if you want to be successful in the marketplace, then you have to get away from all the other competition. Because competition, those competing companies, they fight with one another over the same market demographics. And then they end up bloodying the water like a group of feeding sharks. But if, if you were to do something so unique that you created your own market, well, then you could eliminate the competition and this, just enjoy blue ocean success. You think about Circus Dolay and the way that that, that group was able to, to take this idea of, of ballet and, and Broadway and, and circus and, and be able to come together and create something that people really had never seen and experienced before, right? Well, I believe that there is a deep blue ocean adventure on our horizon as a church. I do. I believe that there is a deep blue ocean adventure on our horizon if we are willing to intentionally focus ourselves on connecting the next generation to Christ. The next generation. And it's going to be an adventure because there are so few other boats, especially among our fellowship, that are successfully fishing and not reaching, then we have to be willing to sail into waters where other churches are not fishing. Now, I know that, especially during the time that I've been here and been blessed to be part of this church family, that, that we have talked about the idea of, uh, of being able to reach out to, to future generations. And, and I know that you've read information and you've seen different things about these groups, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zs and all that. And, and there have been different discussions that we've kind of talked about before. But maybe it might be a new idea or maybe you just need to be just reminded one more time. But millennials and Gen Zs within church circles have been called the lost generations because together they represent a black hole in church participation. It might surprise you to learn that the oldest millennial is 42 years old. Did you know that? I know you thought the millennials were young, right? You're like, wow, man, we got millennials that are over the age of 40. Our own Sean White is a millennial, okay? Sean is a millennial. The youngest member of Gen Z just turned nine this year. So from nine to 42, and these generations represent 42% of the U.S. population. Now individually, each generation outnumbers the previous three. Here's what that means. There are more people right now in this country, in the United States, between the ages of 42 and 27 than there are individuals aged 59 to 77. Okay, you get that? There are more people in the country, 42 to 27, but in that, in that age range, than there are individuals who are 59 to 77. And there are more 9-year-old to 26-year-olds than individuals aged 59 to 77. Millennials as a group outnumber baby boomers as a group. Gen Zs as a group outnumber the amount of baby boomers as a group. 
And the same is true for Gen X, those who are in my category, ages 43 to 58. We've always been outnumbered. I mean, we, we never had a chance where it was like, Gen X, Gen X, we get it. No, we were just always told, go sit in the corner and be quiet. Okay? Just go sit in the corner, be quiet, uh, figure out how to play with something that won't kill you, and then we'll see you in a few years. I mean, that was it. And guess what? Gen X people, we survived. Yes. Right? We made it. We used to go out and play with lawn darts. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was great. Yeah, and, and we survived. It was, it, you know, we pulled apart Stretch Armstrong and then licked whatever was inside, and we lived, and, and it was great. But we've always been outnumbered. There are more 9 to 42-year-olds. Okay, think about this. There are more 9 to 42-year-olds in our country than 43 to 77-year-olds. All right? Now, if that's the case then, oh, and, and by the way, let, let, let me see. I, I, just, I just want to kind of see. If you are 9 to 42, all right, just stand up real quick. I'm not going to make you stand up a long time. I just want to see, I just want to see where you are. 9 to 42-year-olds. All right. Man, look at this. All right, look at that. Not bad, not bad. Everybody's looking around. So, some of you are lying, but that's all right. That, that's all right. I know you're right on the edge. I mean, you're right on that edge. And so that's right. You just stand up and be proud. It, it's fine. All right, good. Have a seat. Have a seat. Now, you, you see that number, and, and man, it, it was a large group here that, that, that stood up. Now, you might expect that in churches as a whole, that the same thing kind of would mirror in society, that there would be, there would be more of those 9 to 42-year-olds in churches than 43 to 77-year-olds. But, but that's not the case. Instead, churches are predominantly filled with baby boomers and to a lesser extent, Gen Xers. What you just looked at and what you just witnessed is a unicorn. Now, you understand what I mean when I say that? That, that it is something that is very unique to see that many who are in that age group, 9 to 42. And we just sent off a, a lot of those 9, 10, 11-year-olds. Well, we sent some of those guys off, and so we could have had even more that were standing up. But, but we are a unicorn in this. Because younger Americans are more likely to be religiously unaffiliated or belong to non-Christian religions. Let me just give you a few stats. I don't want to get too far down the weeds, but I just want you to be able, again, to kind of think through this a little bit with me. Just over 30% of 30 to 49-year-olds are unaffiliated with any type of Christian faith. Okay, 30 to 49-year-olds, over 30%. That number increases to nearly 40% of those who are aged 18 to 29. So it's not getting better. You understand what I'm saying? As, as, as these different generations that we used to think were the, were the young people, right? And now some of the millennials are, are, are older now. They're in their 40s. But you used to think that, okay, those are the young ones. Look, as, as these young ones are becoming older, more mature adults, it is not getting better when it comes to the connection that these individuals are having when it comes to their faith. The lack of affiliation the lack of church affiliation by the younger generation has actually contributed to the overall rise of the percentage of unaffiliated adults in the U.S. Back in 2006, 16% of the U.S. population said they were unaffiliated with any type of Christian faith. That was in 2006, 
2022, that number is 27% of the entire population. That's almost a 70% increase over the last 17 years. Guys, the, the, those individuals who are now coming into young adulthood, the, those individuals who are in their teen years, the, those who are now raising families, the, those who, you know, have been married, let's say, you know, 20 years, some of them, the, these, all these individuals, fewer and fewer of them are, are connected in any meaningful way to a Christian community. And Barner Research reports that over that same time period that, that I mentioned, that, that 2006 now to 2022, that young people raised in church disengaged by the age of 29. And unlike past generation of church dropouts, and we've been talking about this, I know I have for the last 20 years, these young leavers are not returning. They're not returning as a whole. And so this journey into deep is more than just a pithy sermon that, we are, that we're talking about here. Because what we're talking about is, is that there is a great opportunity to add to what God is already doing here in the midst of this space. Because you understand, right, that the majority of people that you are going to come in contact with in your week, this next week, the majority of those people are not going to most likely be connected to any type of community of faith. That means you have the opportunity to speak Jesus into the life of someone, to talk to someone about your connection with God, to talk with someone uh, about your church family and, and what it means to you. You have a connection to be, or an opportunity to be able to do that, to build a connection perhaps with someone that does not have perhaps the faith that you do. So here's what we're going to be referring to this as. This is our BHAG. Okay? This is our BHAG. This is our big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, those of you in the business world, you've heard this term before. It was coined by, uh, by uh, Jim Collins and Jerry Porras in their book, Build to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. And they said that a BHAG engages people. It reaches out and grabs them in the gut. It is tangible, energizing, highly focused. People get it right away, and it takes little or no explanation. Okay, that's a BHAG, this big, hairy, audacious goal that you say, this is where we're going. This is the hill that we're going to die on. This is what we're going to be about. And as an example, Collins and Porras referenced the United States' pursuit of the moon landing. Now, how many of you in the room, here's what I'd like to see. I want you to stand up here just for a moment. How many of you here in the room remember the U.S. landing on the moon? or landing in Arizona, whichever one you, uh, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge, but stand up, just, just for a moment. Stand up if you remember the moon landing. All right, awesome. Everybody look around, take a look. These are the people that remember the moon landing. Great. All right, have a seat. Here's what Colin said about that whole mission. He said the moon mission didn't need a committee to spend endless hours wordsmithing the goal into a verbose, meaningless, impossible-to-remember mission statement. No, the goal itself, the mountain to climb, was so easy to grasp, so compelling in its own right, that it could be said 100 different ways, yet easily understood by everyone. We are going to the moon. Church, I'm asking that we give more than just lip service 
to connecting future generations to Christ. See, I want us to build on what God is already doing in our midst. You saw, you saw the people that, that stood up earlier when I said, all right, if you're 9 to 42. We, we have, a, we have a, a small group, actually multiple small groups that, uh, that meet. They're made up of just our young married uh, families. And uh, we have a group of, of young marrieds. We have about 40 different uh, couples, if, I, if I, I've looked at my notes correctly with that, that are part of our church family. Many of them are, are just beginning to expand their family and welcoming these new, these new kiddo, kiddos. And, and uh, this started out as a truly a little small group. It was small enough that, Chris, they could meet in your and Amy's house, right? I mean, they could get together and they could meet in your house and the neighbors didn't get upset because, you know, the loud music or the cars that were in the, in the driveway or in the street or anything. But then all of a sudden, word began to spread. And, and, and word of mouth began to, to catch on and, and people began to hear that, hey, there was something that was interesting going on on Sunday nights in the Marcus cul-de-sac and you need to come, you need to be a part of that. And, and word began to grow and, and there were different people that, that came and, and some, of, some of you, you came on a Sunday morning and you met some different ones and then you were invited and, and all of a sudden the cars started filling up the cul-de-sac and the music began to get a little louder and, and people began to, to take notice and and then, well, people started showing up with their kids. And, well, what are we going to do with the kids? And, and, and how are we going to take care of this? And, and then it, it began to look for other. Who's got a big space? Who's just got large yards? And, and who's got pools? And, and who's got places that we can just put these people and just let them graze out here somewhere? And, and that's what we're looking for. And, and, and so people started volunteering. And then more people started coming. And, and then the summer came. It was like, we can't all be in the same spot. You couldn't get all of these young married couples in the the same house because there was way too many of them. And so they said, all right, we're going to divide up. We're going to be in four different homes together. Well, then they start doing that and they start going, you know, but we really miss being able to see each other. We got to figure out how are we going to do this? Are we going to go and use the building? Are we going to go out to a park? What are we going to do? Because there's too many. Guys, we've got a little small church that, that's made up of just people who are young married. And I praise God for that. But let me tell you something. There are more young marrieds who are not a part of that group that need to be. Okay? And one of the dangers that can happen in a church community is to taste just a little bit of success in a mission. You get a little bit of success, and you think, man, things are going good. Man, things are going well. We're having more people come, and we're having people ask questions about the Lord, and we're having these studies, and we're having baptisms, and we're getting a little bit, and we feel like, look what God is doing. And all of a sudden, we begin to relax a little bit, and we begin to say, all right, man, look, man, I'm feeling really good about this. Guys, I want us to build on what God is already doing in our midst so that we become a faith community that is known for our outreach and inreach to those under the age of 45. That is the big, hairy, audacious goal. That we are continually looking back to those who are coming Oh, oh yeah, we love those that are, that, are already, that are already here, and I'm part of those. I'm not in this age group anymore. You get that? I'm not in this age group anymore, but my responsibility is to those who are coming after. My responsibility are to my children. My responsibility is to the Marcus's grandchildren. 
My responsibility, your responsibility, if you are over that age of 42, your responsibility is to be looking for those who are coming after. It's the reason that Paul would write and he would talk to Timothy and say, look, you know what I want you to be encouraging those older women that are part of the church there in Ephesus to be doing? I want you to encourage them to what? Be teaching the younger women. And we always thought, well, so they had Sunday school. No, he's talking about you got to have your eyes looking back to the ones that are going to be coming, to the ones that aren't there yet, to the ones that you're bringing up, to the ones that you're maturing. I want us to become known for our outreach and our inreach to those who are under the age of 45 so that when those who are right now in that group, those who are right now, those young marrieds who are meeting together, who are trying to figure out where can we all get, where is a space that's large enough, I want them, when they then turn 50, that their eyes are going to be looking back because they have been raised up in a church that says we will always look for the next generation and seek to connect them to Christ. That is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Because it is a difficult group to get connected to Christ right now. But that just means there's a greater opportunity. That just means that there's more people out there to speak to. Language scholar Paul Ricoeur said that if you want to change a people's obedience, you must change their imagination. You want to change their obedience? You change the imagination. And I think a good case can be made that that was perhaps one of the main reasons that Jesus taught the way that he did. The way that he reached people, he appealed to their imaginations with vivid and just simple stories about the kingdom and the character of God, the nature of grace, forgiveness, and joy. And he would illustrate these with different types of object lessons. Jesus didn't simply say that God was welcoming and forgiving. He told a story about a father who had two sons. And what was the response of those who he interacted with? And time and time again, Scripture says that they were amazed we're amazed. Writer and artist Gordon McKenzie tells of visiting children in a kindergarten class and, and asking them, who's an artist? And you know what happened when he would ask kindergarten class after kindergarten class after kindergarten class? Every hand in the room shot up. Woo! I'm an artist, right? I'm an artist. He says that when he would go then into third grade classes, that the amount of kids who raised their hands decreased by half. Decreased by half. You see, by the time students are 12 years old, only a few hands go up. Because within six years, reality overcomes imagination. And you realize, I'm a terrible artist. <laughs> right? I'm a terrible artist. I can't draw. I don't have any kind of imagination. I'm just going to be an engineer. Oh, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. How that, how, how that you, you, when, you're, when you're little, you think well, you can do everything. And, and you, know, you ask somebody what they're going to be. And I remember Emily, uh, sweetie, I don't know if you remember, but um, I do. But people would ask you what you want to be. And she was going to be a princess mermaid. Yeah, princess mermaid. That was it. Yeah, we were like, oh, that's just, that's just great. And we're thinking she's going to be disappointed one day. But that's great. How many years did it take for you? How many years did it take for you to lose your imagination when it comes to the kingdom of God? 
See, the worst consequence of losing our imagination and wonder is that we no longer see our Christian life as an adventure where we're sailing out into deep. We just see it as a duty, it's a chore, it's a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's all about how-to's. And we think the point of life is to stay as safe and undisturbed as possible. We haven't always been this safe. We were young once and we were wild and God was really unpredictable. But then we grew up and we put away childish things. And we packed away our flannel graph and our WWJD bracelets and along with them our imagination of what God can do. And now we say, I remember when. We used to. Guys, I think we have plenty of historical Christians in the world. We need more imaginative ones. Christians who will sail into deep water because God says so. And because we want to see what God has planned. Even though everything within us just says stay, just stay put. But because God said so, because you said so, Lord, we're going to sail. And we're going to sail where no one else is sailing. And we're going to live like no one else is living. And we're going to give like no one else is giving. And we're going to love like no one else is loving. And we're going to serve like no one else is serving. See, friends, odds on, you're going to run across multiple people today. Multiple people this week that are between the ages of 9 and 42. You can't help it. They're, they're, they're everywhere. They're all, they're all around us. And I know some of you are saying, you got that right. Man. They are all around us. Can't get away from them. Can't make change. You know, can't show up on time. Always talking about their feelings. They're all around us. Praise God. Praise God, they're all around us. And more likely than not... They are unaffiliated with the faith community. See, th this is the great impact. You, you saw those that were 9 to 42 that stood up earlier. You know, who, you know who the best missionaries are in our church right now? It's that group that stood up, those 9 to 42-year-olds. Because they are doing life and they are interacting with others who have questions, who, who are wondering, who have been turned off by faith, who have been disappointed by church leaders, individuals who, you know, they have heard about Jesus and they, they kind of went to a Bible school here or, or there. But these are the missionaries. These are the ones who are going to have the greatest impact to be able to talk to their, to their community the people that they work with, the people that they play ball with, the people that they're going to the gym with, the people they're having coffee with. They, these are the ones that they are going to be able to talk to and engage in questions about faith. It's a great opportunity. It's a great chance. But you need to understand that, that there are some things within this opportunity, man, that, that, that's scary. In the Chinese language, the word for crisis the symbol that is used is actually a combination of two different symbols, one that means danger and one that means opportunity. We have a crisis situation when it comes to the younger generations being connected to Jesus Christ. And it is dangerous because guess what? There are a lot of questions that these individuals have that are tough and they're difficult. 
And we've got to be willing to, to give space and give room for those kind of questions. And, and there are individuals that don't have the same upbringing maybe that you had and, and the same understanding of Scripture. And, and they don't understand about faith. And they don't understand exactly what it means to, to love and, and what it means to forgive and what it means to be what actual tolerance is. And, and there's a lot of things that are messy. But there's so much opportunity. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this danger and this opportunity. And we're going to talk about some of the things that, that, that are needed and some of the things that are, that are, that are great about this group and, and some of the things that are, that, that are, that are a little prickly about, about this group. And as we talk, we're going to be talking about some of our people again who are here. And we're going to focus and think about those who are not. Well, time's getting away, so let me tell you this. This was not Peter's first rodeo with Jesus. Because at the end of Luke chapter 4, just before where we began reading, we read how Jesus, we could read how Jesus went into Peter's house and and healed his mother-in-law. Now granted, if Peter's mother-in-law was living with him, Peter probably wasn't home when this happened. But uh, presumably, I mean presumably he witnessed to to this healing in some way. And he knows that Jesus can do some pretty amazing things that no one else can do. And And he knows that Jesus has mysterious abilities. So why don't we read about Peter falling down on his face in a sudden awareness that he is in the presence of the one and only Son of God. Why does he wait until this deep sea excursion? Well, I think the answer lies in the fact that as far as we know, this is the first time that Jesus did something amazing personally for Peter. And maybe you know what it's like. You've You've heard before how that people talk about how God answered a prayer for them and, and how there was someone who was sick with cancer but now the doctors are amazed at the healing or, or how that, that he took a broken relationship with their child that they thought would never be able to be put back together but now they can't stop sharing pictures on Facebook and Instagram. and You've heard of those kinds of stories, right? God stories where God showed up and God showed out. And you know that God works in mysterious ways. And you nod when you hear stories like this and say, well, praise God. But we're not necessarily changed by those type of stories. We're not different because of how God acted powerfully in the life of someone else. You see, we only fall to our knees when we are the ones that have the amazing story to tell. How God was with your child during the accident. Or or how God used foreclosure to strengthen your faith. How God gave you courage. How that God provided you comfort and peace. How that God filled your boat with fish. You see, it's in the deep water that we are made amazingly aware of how God can do amazing things. And that's when we begin to say, God, if you can do this, then perhaps you could also You see, God's amazing power fuels our imagination. And friends, nowhere is it more needed than in our churches. For we have largely lost our capacity for wonder and imagination. Week after week, there are disciples that sit staring at the backs of one another's heads, mumbling the words to songs that no longer inspire. Their minds wander during prayers and sermons. They check their iPhone or their watch for the time. They wonder if God really intended for this to be what the Christian life is all about. Friends, I I want us to rediscover the words, imagine with me. I want us to rediscover 
those words where we think about the impact of the community of faith and and, and where we're using it in all areas. And we talked just this past month about the power of one and, and what God can do with one person and with, with, with one ministry and with one church. And, and I know we talked about and highlighted our snack pack ministry and we talked about archery and we talked about transformation and our, our new beginnings house. And, and with those things, it's easy for us just to kind of sit back and go, man, that, that's really good. And, and, and we packed 10,000 snack packs last month and but can you imagine with me being able to pack 20,000? Now, we won't be able to do it here. We won't be able maybe to do it the way that we're doing it. We might have to do it in multiple places, or, or we might be able to do it here, but it might just be all day long. I mean, I don't know how it's going to be, but can you imagine with me 20,000 bags that, that's being packed with that? And I know we just added a fourth session for archery so that people could come, yes, and learn archery, but also hear a message about God. And, and could you imagine instead of having four that we had eight, instead of just doing it on Tuesday night, but we also did it on Thursday night as well? Can you imagine that? And how that we have a, a new beginnings house for ladies who are transitioning out from incarceration back into the life in the society. Can you imagine having a house for men being able to do the same thing? Can, can, can you imagine that and get beyond what it is that's currently being done by God? But imagine what could be done out there, I know, in the deeper waters. Or specifically when it comes to connecting the next generation to Christ. Can you imagine with me 18 to 45-year-olds filling our building and leading our ministries? But not just our building, but, but they're, they're online because understand that the faith communities in the future, they're going, they're, they're going to be online ministries that have, that have physical locations, but primarily it's going to be an online sharing of, of information. Can you imagine with me mission teams? made up of individuals from our church family who say that they are being led by God to move outside of the Bible Belt and, and go to other places in order to be able to, to set up these, these home churches, to be able to, to share the message of Jesus Christ. And we raise them up and then we send them out. Can you imagine East Springer Church of Christ being the faith community for the young singles and the young families of Ottawa, Collegedale, Apison, and North Georgia? Now, I'm not trying to slack on any of the others that are hopefully having similar goals, but let us partner and go side, to, side by side with them. But if nobody else is going to be able to have that kind of impact, then let it be done right here in our midst. Can you imagine with me a mentoring ministry for newlyweds and, and new moms and, and dads? Can you imagine a yak ministry that outnumbers our senior fellowship ministry? Can you imagine a youth ministry, a youth group so large that we need to continually be bringing on additional volunteers, a children's ministry so impactful that the kids just beg their parents to come and to participate? Can you imagine a church that no longer thinks in terms of generation gaps, where we're no longer worried about, okay, well, well who's getting this or what's being done for this group, but we're celebrating the fact that people are being brought to Christ can you imagine with me a church that shares the importance of traditions but is not traditional? Can you imagine with me God coming onto your boat and asking you to follow him out into deep water? You see, perhaps the greatest gift that we can give to the next generation is to go into the deep water and just allow ourselves to be wonder struck, to be God struck, and allow God to capture our imagination once again. And to be amazed by him. 61 years ago this month, President John F. Kennedy gave a speech at, at Rice University. 
where he described America's big, hairy, audacious goal of going to the moon. Here's just part of that speech. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. We choose to go. We choose to go to the moon. To the moon. We choose to go. To Isn't that awesome, man? Those of you that that were there, those of you that that remember perhaps that that speech in in 1962, those those of you that were that remember then that landing, that the fact that that at that time when President Kennedy made that speech, the technology to get to where he said we were going did not exist didn't exist. And he said, that's where we're going. Friends, we choose to go into deep water. We choose to go into deep water and do all we can to connect the next generation to Christ, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And because that big, hairy, audacious goal will serve to organize and measure the best of, of our energies and the best of our skills, and it will send us to our knees in prayer, and it will stretch our faith, and it will activate our love, and it will, it will cause us to be amazed at what God can do. Church, I am so thankful for what God has done in this space I'm so thankful for what God has been able to do through the people who have called this church home. But I think that we have a big, hairy, audacious goal. I think that there is more that is still left for us to do, and it is not going to be easy, and it is not going to be hard, but by God's grace, it will be done. And I ask you to join me as together we stand and give God praise for our big, hairy, audacious goal.